Well, good morning, White Oak, and uh, thanks so much for being here. They told me to ask Brandon to do the live host. What could go wrong, right? <laughs> Be great. So, your first and last time doing the live host, Brandon. Congratulations. So we are, though he said one thing true, we're still talking about Romans, okay? And uh, so uh, we are in Romans, and today we're in chapter 12. So if, uh, if you've got your Bible and you want to uh, get that marked, or if you want to pull that up and, uh, and have that ready in your app, or whatever you're using to read today, um, I encourage you to do that. So as we've been journeying through Romans, uh, I'll be honest, there's been sections of Romans. I wasn't here when uh, this was laid out long, long time ago when we figured out which chapters we were going to do. We've done almost all of them, um, but I'll tell you, there was a couple chapters that we did that I was like, ugh, maybe, maybe this one would have been one that I would have skipped if I was doing it, but today we're in Romans chapter 12. And if I had one chapter that I was going to preach in, it would have been this one. I, I could have done four sermons just found in this one. It's going to be a great chapter. And one of the reasons that it is exciting that we finally get to Romans chapter 12 is because Paul is at a point in his letter where he is making a pivot. All right? For 11 chapters, Paul has laid out this argument for why... They needed to live in a certain way, like, like what was going on. Uh, and if you're not familiar, if you're just jumping in with this, Romans is a letter that Paul writes to a group of house churches that are meeting in the city of Rome. And in these churches, you have two people groups, the Jews and the Gentiles. And these two people groups are not getting along. Uh, they have different ideologies on how following Jesus works and what that looks like. They come from different heritages. And so they got a lot of baggage that is uh, going on there. And they're not unified. They don't see eye to eye on very much. Paul's purpose in writing the letter is that he wants to create unity. He, he wants to tear down barriers. He wants to tear down walls. And he wants them to understand that they need to be working together. He, he does that in a, in a couple different ways. He tries to create unity by fully laying out the good news of Jesus and, and just trying to share the gospel message and the hope. And what he does in doing that is he tries to create an equal playing field. He talks so much about how we are all sinners and how we, we all need this thing called grace, that we all need it. And so he's, he's attempting to create unity. And so chapters 1 through 11 is a lot of theology. It's a lot of what we know about this good news that we call the gospel. But when we get to chapter 12, he kind of pivots. And so chapter 12 and on, we're, we're about uh, two-thirds of the way through this letter. we got about a third left to go. The last third is really the now what. Right, the, the because of all of this that I've said before, this is how I want you to live. This is the practical part. This is the nuts and bolts. This is, the, this is what it looks like on a daily basis for them 2,000 years ago, but for us today as well. So Paul begins to lay out the so what. Okay, so all this is true. And because of that, here's what I want you to do. And so we'll find as we jump into chapter 12, that's where we're going to be. If I was going to sum up a little bit about uh, where we've been so far, it would be in this phrase. Paul says, uh, we're all sinners, so I'm a sinner that's saved by grace, now what? And chapter 12 and on is the now what that we find 
in Romans. And so I do. I encourage you to, to pick up your Bible. We're going to be in Romans chapter 12. And, and I just want to look. We're just going to look at the very first verse. Very first verse here right now. He says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Wow. One verse, but man, there's a lot for us to unpack there. In view of God's mercy, Paul sums up 11 chapters of Romans with one word. And the word he chooses to use is mercy. In light of God's mercy, because of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. We use some words a lot when we're in the church context, and and today I want to help you understand a little bit about what we mean when we use some of them. Sometimes we use them interchangeably, and what we're talking about is this word mercy and the word grace, Uh, but they actually mean different things, all right? So uh, so here Paul uses mercy, and sometimes he'll use the word grace, and and here's the difference. Mercy is this idea of withholding a punishment we do deserve, right? We got it up on the screen. Mercy withholds a punishment we do deserve. It means that I deserve to be punished. I deserve death because of my sin, but God withholds, withholds that from me. That's mercy. Grace grants us a gift we do not deserve. So I don't deserve eternal life. I don't deserve to be called a son or daughter of God, but God gives it to me anyway. That's grace. And so grace is the gift I receive Mercy is the punishment that I don't receive. Two sides of the same coin. God, through Jesus, shows us mercy by not giving us the punishment we deserve. At the same time, shows us grace by granting us eternal life and making us sons and daughters, even though we don't deserve it. Because of God's mercy, Paul wants us to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Now, Paul's audience, this church in Rome, would have been familiar with this idea of sacrifice. If we're talking about the Jewish Christians that lived in Rome, they understand sacrifice. Uh, the Old Testament is a, is a, is a book, or is a uh, section of the Bible that's all about sacrifice. Jewish people had to make atonement for their sin, and so they would travel to the temple and they would offer these sacrifices to God through priests. That would, that would go up to heaven and, and somehow try to clean their soul from the sins that they made. Problem was that they would just have to keep doing this over and over again. And it was never quite enough. It didn't work. It was a broken system. But they understood the idea of offering sacrifices for the sins that they had committed. The pagans, the Gentiles, those who, who weren't part of the nation of Israel, they understood the concept of sacrifice as well. They would make sacrifices to their false gods, sometimes human sacrifices. And so they understood this idea, this concept. Paul was quick to point out that these are living sacrifices, that this isn't, this isn't physically killing yourself, but it is more a spiritual offering of oneself to God. In light of God's mercy on us, we offer ourselves back to God This is how we live it out. This is how we move from knowing it. That's what Paul spends first 11 chapters is trying to help them know it. 
to how we live it out. Paul continues in verse 2, painting this picture and what it looks like. He says, Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. A few weeks ago, when we were just beginning Romans, I said that when we approach the Bible, specifically when we approach Romans, that our goal should be for transformation. That we should enter into this reading it, that we want to be changed. And that's what Paul is talking about. He says, we're not going to conform to what the world does, but we're going to be transformed. That our minds are going to be different, that we're going to think differently. We know that today there's a huge emphasis on physical health and mental health. Everywhere you look, uh, people are telling you that if you want to be whole, you have to be physically healthy and you have to be mentally healthy. And these are, these are good things for us to be thinking about, how we take care of our body and how we take care of our mind. Well, 2,000 years ago, Paul was in on that, right? Look at what he says. Paul's challenge to the church in Rome is this. What they do, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, and what they think, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Let me make this simple. Because of God's mercy, change the way you act and change the way you think. This is what true worship looks like. That I would sacrifice my actions, my life for God. That I would give it up for his sake and do what it is that he calls me to do. And that I would sacrifice my mind, that is what I think for God. That, that I would bend my life and bend my mind in a way that my actions and my mind begin to reflect Jesus more and more. There's a very churchy word that comes to mind here. It's this word, consecrate. Consecrate is this idea of setting apart or making holy. That we would declare our bodies set apart for the glory of God. That our minds would be set apart for the glory of God. That we would attempt to make them holy as a gift back to God in thanksgiving of the mercy and the grace that I've received. All along, Paul's been on this quest to help people understand that it's not about our behavior that saves us. So we're not doing this. We're not, we're not changing our mind and we're not offering our lives back to God because that's what saves us. But we're offering them back as a gift, as a thanksgiving. Paul's gone out of his way to remind us just how miserably we fail when we try to earn our salvation. He reminds us that it's by grace we've been saved through faith in Jesus. So does how I live even matter? In Romans chapter 6, Paul answers that with a strong yes, it matters. Not in the sense that this new behavior, this new way of thinking is the thing that saves us. But Paul reminds us that our old self has died. Why would we want to live like that any longer? So Paul asks us to be transformed by the renewing of our lives as a gift to God. When we recognize the mercy that was shown to us, when we realize the grace that was poured out on us, it's humbling. 
pride has been a stumbling block for the church in Rome. There are Jewish Christians who have this privilege because of who they are and where they come from and their heritage. They've got the law. They are the people of God. And so they rest on this privilege that they have. While the Gentile Roman Christians rely on their power. They are Rome, by the way, and so they have a superiority complex. They, they believe that they have somehow earned their salvation simply through might. And both of them are missing what it is that God is trying to do. But pride stands in their way. The Gentile Christians with their power and the Jewish Christians with their privilege. So Paul spends 11 chapters of Romans reminding the church of their faults and their failures, reminding them that everything and everything that they have is a gift from God. And that if we relied on ourselves, that we fall miserably short of God's expectation. There's no pride when we acknowledge that everything that we have comes from God. When we recognize that we didn't do anything to earn it. When we recognize that we've been given mercy and grace, that God held back the punishment that I deserve, and God granted me a gift that I didn't deserve. Our big idea today is that I'm not proud, because I didn't earn it. I didn't do anything to deserve it. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, if we continue on, says this. It says, For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourselves more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourselves with sober judgment in accordance with the faith, with the faith God has distributed to each of you. He says, look, quit thinking of yourselves in such high regard. You didn't do anything to earn this grace you've been given. It's this idea. Paul was, is laying out this idea that pride is affecting how the Roman Christians treated one another. There is a dispute amongst them. They're not unified. They're not together. And Paul's purpose, one of them, in writing the letter is to create unity in this church. And one of the ways that he's going to do that is going to help them to understand that their pride is getting in the way. And one of the things he's going he's to challenge them on is to let their pride fall. That if they could accept the humility that comes from understanding that they've been given a gift... That everything that they have is granted to them from God. That the only way that we experience salvation is through the mercy and grace that God gives us. That can transform us. That can change us. And we can live differently. Romans chapter 12 verses 9 and 10 says this. It says, Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Paul's laying out this groundwork. He, he's trying to present this argument that says you've got to let yourself fall down. You've got to be able to elevate other people. And in doing so, we're going to become a church that can change Rome. We're going to become a church that can change Cincinnati. We're going to become a church that can impact the world. And I want to look at three different ways that we can do that. Three different ways that we can let our pride fall down. First thing is we've got to recognize what God has done in me. 
Paul uses Romans to point out exactly what Jesus has done for you. The sacrifice that he's made, what it is that he's given you, the gospel good news that is, I'm a sinner saved by grace. When I recognize what God has done in me, my pride falls down. When I recognize what God has done in others, and it can be a beautiful thing, because that puts us on even playing field. When I see that God's at work in other people, when I see the beauty that is in other people because they are a child of God and that we are equals, my pride falls down. When I elevate others up and I put people before me, I become more and more like Jesus. When I recognize what God wants accomplished. What's God want done? God wants to reach a lost and broken world with the message of Jesus, the good news that is the hope we find in Jesus Christ. And the church at Rome, and sometimes us, we stand in the way of that. Because we can't get along, because we don't see eye to eye, because we let too many things stand in the way. This church in Rome that is broken and not unified is becoming a stumbling block to those around them. People can't see Jesus because all they see is they're fighting. What does God want to accomplish? God wants the world reached for the gospel. And until this church becomes unified, people aren't going to see that. And so when I recognize what God wants accomplished and how I could somehow maybe be standing in the way of that, my pride falls down. Romans chapter 12, verse 18 says this. It says, If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do you hear these words from Paul just coming out to the church in Rome? As he just begs them, he says, he says Look, you've got to live at peace with those around you. There's this idea that's floating around. Uh, maybe you've seen it uh, posted on social media or seen a sign or something somebody's created. It says, that it costs nothing to be a kind human being. So on one hand, we live in a culture that says, man, we just want people to be kind. We just want people to be kind to one another. If we could do that, if we could live that out, this would be a much better place. And this isn't just, you know, I mean, Christians. In our culture, we have a society that's just calling for people to be kind to one another. But on the other hand, I wonder, I have to ask myself, do we really know what kindness looks like? And is it as easy to be kind as we somehow think? I want to throw a picture up on the screen. It happened a few weeks ago, and maybe you heard about it. This is uh, President George Bush, and uh, that is Ellen DeGeneres. And uh, so they were at a Dallas Cowboys game sitting next to each other, and uh, Ellen got a lot of flack from a lot of her friends and, uh, and social media followers and people that are fans of her show because she was sitting next to the president. And, uh, and a lot of them uh, don't like what he stands for politically, don't like uh, things about his presidency, and so they questioned why Ellen would be sitting next to him. Her response back was, well, we're friends, and even though we do not agree on everything, I am simply being kind. Now, that answer wasn't good enough for a lot of people. She got a lot of flack for that because people believe that he didn't deserve to be kind to. And that because of things that are in his past that 
he shouldn't be sat next to. And so this isn't a political statement. This isn't a statement about either one of these two individuals. I'm just pointing out the fact that kindness is more complicated today than we think. When all we're called to do is to be kind. What does Paul say? If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. But we live in a society where even kindness is under attack. I want to point out, uh, so one of my favorite uh, books in the New Testament is this small letter called uh, Titus. And uh, in Titus, uh, eight times, Paul, writing to a young minister by the name of Titus, uses the phrase, do good. And he does it eight times in three chapters. There's only three chapters in the book of Titus. And the reason, the rationale that Paul uses to Titus in saying this phrase, do good, is that he hopes that Titus, in ministering to these small churches in this island of Crete where he's located, that by being good, by doing good, by living a good life, check this out, that he might make the gospel, the good news about Jesus, beautiful to those around him. That simply by doing good or being good, people would be attracted to Jesus. If I were to sum up what we're talking about today, if I were to try to help us understand what it is that that we're talking about today, it's this idea that we would do good that we would transform our lives and our minds towards good thinking, not because it's what saves us, because it is the thing that we have that can draw people back to God. That people could see our lives and the way that we interact with one another and that they might be attracted to who Jesus is through us. Pride, revenge, the need to be right all the time, Paul says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Romans 12, 21. Let me say that again. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. That somehow by living a good life, somehow by, by just demonstrating a, being a good human being, I might point people back to the gospel. Here it is. The sermon in a nutshell, if you want it. When we live good lives, we point people to a good God. That's what Paul's calling this church in Rome to do. He says, look, you want to stop your fighting? You want to stop your arguing? He says, let your pride fall down and live these transformed good lives. And people might see Jesus living through you. And I think that's just as true today as it was the day that it was written. That here we are wondering, so what? Romans, what's it have to do with me? Paul calls us that our true act of worship, and I love singing, I could, I could sing with Zach all day long, but he says our true act of worship is that we would offer our lives and our minds back to God as a gift. That we might live lives of good intent 
so that people might see God living in us. That we might make the gospel, this good news, this good news story about what Jesus has done, that we might make that beautiful, attractive to someone. That's a challenge. And so if you're a, if you're a Jesus follower... Your challenge today is to think about, am I living a transformed life? Has Jesus really came in and changed me? And if you've never accepted Jesus, if you're just trying to find out about who Jesus is, let me tell you, Jesus offers you two things. He offers you mercy and grace. Mercy, that you're not going to receive the thing that you deserve. And grace, that you're going to get a gift that you could never earn. And that is beautiful. And man, we would love to tell you more about what it means to follow Jesus. If you've got questions about that, I would love to talk to you. You can mark your connection card or come up and see me. You can come down front and talk to one of our prayer partners. We would love to help you on your journey, finding out more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. But for the rest of us, we're not proud because we didn't earn any of this. But we have an opportunity to live out a transformed life that points people back to a good God, right? We live good lives and we point people to a good God. Would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today and I thank you so much for your son, Jesus. We are so thankful for the mercy and the grace that we receive. God, today we just pray that we might live lives that are transformed, that are different. Thank you so much for your son. Help us to be a church that points people back to him. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.